What's happening, y'all? This is Todd Wilson with Elevate Your Game. Today, we have our special guest, none other than Dino Stragonis. Dino, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I feel blessed to be here, considering the, the uh, magnitude of the guest you've already had here, Jason <laughs> Hart and Chris Johnson. And... No, it's awesome to have you. Um, one of the godfathers of grassroots basketball, nationally, almost internationally at this point. Um, a lot of basketball knowledge. Um, you know, your most well-known event is probably the Pangos Camp amongst other many other things that you do just around the country, um, developing, supporting, and letting people know where the talent is um, when it comes to basketball. So we appreciate everything you do for the basketball community. Thank you very much. Thank you. Awesome. So the first thing we love to do on this show is look at our wall of movies, our hoop movies. And so uh, what's your favorite hoop movie of all time? Yeah, it's going to have to be a close call between uh, Coach Carter the kind of love and more than a game because obviously I had a chance to be a witness, <laughs> no pun intended, to LeBron James in high school and had a chance to kind of see him up close and personal for a long weekend here in L.A. at the Pangos Dream Classic. So probably I would give it to uh, more than a game. More than a game. Yeah, awesome. Coach Carter probably Second close, I know. Coach Carter <laughs> is up there, too. There's a lot of good movies on this wall, too. Yeah. yeah. No, I remember being at the Pangos Dream Classic then. Um, it was the first Pangos event that I went to as a spectator. And uh, what an amazing event. The, it was Also, White Man Can't Jump, the sequel, and White Man Can't Jump, a, a former Pangos event alum, Sinquo Walls is starring in that Oh, that's right. He is, yeah. I started, I've watched Sinquo the first well. 20 minutes. And... Uh, I started the movie too late and fell asleep, but I'm going to finish it. It looked pretty interesting. Have you seen it yet? Not yet. Yeah. Check it out. It seems pretty well, interesting. I'll, trust me, I'll get to it. <laughs> if you're watching out there, I'm going to get to it. No, absolutely. More Than a Game is awesome. I think they're coming out with the movie version of the actual oh. documentary pretty soon. And so it's awesome seeing just LeBron up to, you know, last night, um, his career over the last 20 years, we've Probably, you've probably seen him for the last 24 years, including his high school career. I actually coached the first song I coached against him in AAU basketball when he was a freshman, going to be a sophomore mm. in high school. That's the first time I got a taste of him. We were, I was playing up in Oakland at that time. The Oakland Soldiers had done a, uh, were doing an end of summer tournament called the Elite Eight at UC Berkeley and took my Belmont Shore team up there with Dijon Thompson. Who played at UCLA and in the NBA? Uh, Kirk Snyder played in Nevada, first round draft pick to the NBA. Cody Pearson, uh, well known in the Valley, had a Notre Dame, went to Long Beach State, one of the best defenders I've ever coached. And we were beating this second soldier team, Oakland Soldier team, in the first half pretty well. And they had a younger group of guys, Leon Poe, Ayindi Abaka. And there was one guy I didn't really notice at first. And he, my recollection, he didn't do much in the first half. We were up fairly big, and somehow the second half, they kind of let this guy lose. They kind of let him play a little more, and he completely destroyed us in, in the second <laughs> half. He came back and beat us, and I was kind of puzzled because I, I knew kind of Yinde, I knew Leon Poe, and then I heard his name for the first time, mm. a name like that you remember, yeah. and LeBron James. I said, LeBron, I never heard that name. He's not from California. He's from Ohio. Oh, and so he was a ninth going to the 10th. And I realized he had just won a state title in Ohio as a uh, freshman. I think Maverick Carter 
we used to business partners with now, was on that team as a senior. And that was the kind of first time I kind of saw him. He, he reminded me a lot of a Paul Pierce hmm. back then. A guy, but he was he was the second half. He was getting knocked down, hitting shots, you know, and ones to the basket from range, from deep. Uh, kind of had the whole package and kind of knew we were looking at something special at that point. No, that's the second time I heard of a LeBron story where he was kind of calm at first. It was uh, John Lucas told me a story. They were playing with him, <clears throat> NBA, and uh, NBA runs in Chicago when his dad was out there. And um, all of a sudden, it was a bunch of pros and LeBron, and they weren't passing LeBron the ball. And John Lucas Sr., or the second, I should say, said, hey, let him go. Give him the ball. And first play, he rises up and dunks on like three people. And then from then on out, he just takes over. And that's kind of been – we saw it last night when, when it's a little pressure or something needs to be done, he, he tries to handle it. Well, he was a big draw. I remember the tournament in, in Texas that he played in because his normal AAU team was the team that he grew up with that was coached by um, Drew Joyce, who ended up being first the high school assistant. Mm-hmm. And then when the head coach, uh, Keith Danbrot, left for college again, he became the head coach. That guy dealt with when he came to UCLA in January of 2023. But he also played on the side with the Oakland Soldier connection. Uh, I think Ben Braun was then the coach at Cal. He had a connection with Dan Braun. Dan Braun was his assistant mm. before that at Eastern Michigan. So I think he was trying to use that to kind of recruit him. I think Ben knew how good he was. I did, most of us didn't realize he was going to be, at that point, as a ninth grader, that good right <laughs> you know all-time leading scorer in the nba good right. you know contender for number one of all time good so he tried to use that to his advantage i think putting him on that soldier team with other guys that he was recruiting he, he was trying to form a bond with those guys to try to position himself which is a smart thing to do but back in we were in Perlin, texas for i think john yuri had a tournament years ago and you'd go to the game before and they'd be ha- Nobody in the gym. Mm. And when he played, it failed. <laughs> and then when the game was over, back to empty. So every time it was kind of a like a like a high tide thing where like 10 minutes before he was about to play, the gym filled. Mm. And then right after it emptied. So he <laughs> you could tell then the word had gotten out and people were um, noticing his greatness to be at that point. And but he played kind of different than Jordan or Kobe. He had more of a Magic Johnson. As you see him now, he probably could have been a Magic Johnson yeah. type point guard because his floor vision, his passing ability. The size. He kind of he, he kind of enjoys passing as much as he does scoring, even though he's the all-time scorer, obviously. But you saw some. But he was more athletic on the defensive end. Mm than magic as far as blocking shots, tracking guys down mm-hmm. from behind for a block or, or rebounding and things of that nature. So you saw it then and then obviously uh listening to him on video or audio, he had kind of a Muhammad Ali type quality quality in that he was very even at that young age, he was very polished yeah. in front of the camera. He knew how to what to say, how to say it how to give the interview what they wanted. He, very professional. He, you could tell he had studied the game. Yep. Well, Smart some guys just play. He was a student of the game. 
and had um, kind of mastered that mental element of it as well. That's awesome. So through your years, and I want to say even more recently, have you seen anyone like a LeBron that has that professionalism, that um, that it factor to, you know, come in and compete for that all-time spot? Is there anybody that stands out to you? You know, something that's a good question. I think that we've kind of had a lot of guys in that category, you know, that are up-and-coming players, but not the kind of whole package. Kevin Durant uh, is probably close. Steph Curry is kind of a unique type player and kind of a relatable player, especially because of his size. Most guys who play are kind of within that six foot, foot to six four range. Mm-hmm. He kind of changed the game because he made what normally is difficult look so easy. It actually could be more of a curse than a blessing because people think they can emulate right. that. <laughs> and it's very, very, very difficult. And they don't under, understand when you talk about guys like Curry and guys like Steve Nash and guys like LeBron, all this fancy stuff, that's kind of extra, that's whipped cream. Those guys are much more fundamentally sound Everybody else. than people think that they've mastered that first, then they added the, the style piece to it. And um, Curry, uh, obviously, uh, was not very good this last series, which is kind of surprising because if you look at the stats, if he shoots average, they probably win that series. Yeah. He had some really bad games, which is uncharacteristic for a guy that good of a shooter, maybe the best shooter of all time. And um, probably not to that degree. I think LeBron was more focused. LeBron had that kind of winning all-around game. A lot of guys do certain things well. But nothing, nobody really has the whole package on and off the court. Yeah. Or the mental aspect of it, like LeBron uh, has had for, for 19 years. You know, for a long time, I thought Father Time had no had no competitor. He's really hanging in there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's giving father time and run for his money. But like I got an Anthony Edwards, so talented. Yeah. And he was a, he kind of was a breakout guy at my camp. Yeah, one dunk went viral against Johnny Juzang. That kind of helped him kind of go from being a guy well known in Georgia to being known nationally. But you see with him, he still has a way to go maturity wise. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these guys are young. They're not unlike guys in the 80s and 90s who had a couple of years of college. They're not mature or experienced yet right. off the court. And that's part of, um, of the, um, I think, the learning curve. Some people learn it quicker. Some people have good mentors. Some don't. I was at the Final Four. I saw Houston Rockets play at home against the Lakers. They have a lot of young kids, yeah. Jalen Green, guys I know very well. Christopher, Josh Christopher, Deshaun Nix, Ty Ty Washington, uh, uh, Eason, uh, who's been to my camps, has been on my team. And the maturity they think is still not popping for them. And now they had a change of coaches. It looks back to maybe an older guy because you watch them warm up. I kind of joked with John Lucas, the older John Lucas, uh, recently about it. In the pregame warm-up, they're going hard in the in the, all the conditioning. They're they're jumping around, pitter patting like football drills. Mm-hmm. They're going hard, this and that. And then when the game starts, 
They barely run back on defense. It's almost like, did you get war? The, 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 the physical conditioning guy wear him out there in the warm-ups? They got nothing left. Or what's the disconnect there? Mm. You look pretty in the warm-ups doing all that effort. You had more effort in the warm-ups than you did in transition. That's a maturity thing. And, and, and that's why having all those young guys with no veterans sometimes is not a good idea because you've got to have somebody teaching them how to be professional because everybody has somebody teaching them how to be, be a professional in the NBA. And that's the thing that teams like Houston are missing. And hopefully they're going into year three now. They've got to show some progress. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like that. The um, I love doing the pre-draft every year. It's probably my, one of my favorite times because we get to see these kids for six weeks. It's not a long time that we're working with them before they get drafted and are with their NBA teams. And it's not about the, it is understanding the NBA game, but it's also the conditioning of the NBA game, but more importantly, how to be a pro, how to show up to the gym every day. What are you eating every day? What are you doing with your time every day? And those are the things that make the separation, even when you become a pro, is creating that separation. Well, the one thing with, I've been to a couple of NBA pro days, and, and uh, one thing uh, kind of very mystifying to me is how much stock they put into that. It's obviously, most guys look great in the pre-draft camp. And most guys, I've seen it from Phil Jackson to Pat Riley, who sit down and they're watching, they're watching these guys do these drills. And you guys have these guys operating at their optimum self. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, part of the equation. But I think the danger there is when you put too much of your perception to that and you don't study the guy's overall history. Yeah, the film. That's why a guy like Austin Reeves gets undrafted. Fred Van Fleet gets undrafted. Mm -hmm. Gabe Vincent, who has 29 in NBA Eastern Conference Finals, goes undrafted. You're not paying attention to the production. I love potential like everybody else. Mm -hmm. But to me, you know, they have a saying in Korean, you know, um, seeing is believing. I don't know how to pronounce it in Korean. But seeing is believing. Obviously, if you look at Fred Van Vliet's history and you paid attention, you saw a guy that was tough that won, yep. that played for a good coach, a four-year guy, and yet they ignored him, and then he proved them wrong. You saw Austin Reeves. I saw a guy that the way he played was like a Craig Elo, and they ignored him for whatever reason. So I think, I think, I think the part of the problem is some of these guys are so – I think scared is the word of missing on the, the home run swing. Yep. They're not willing to take the singles and doubles and they're swinging only for the fences. I had a guy, um, I won't reveal the name, the playoffs that they're doing very, they had a very good NBA playoffs and they were picking late in the first round. And they asked me about a kid that I knew very well. He said, what do you think? The scouting guy. He said, oh, I said, well, do you want to babysit? Or do you need somebody to come in right away? Hmm. And they could afford to babysit because their roster was loaded. You know? And, and that's part of the equation. But also, too, there's a danger there from the NBA standpoint. If they're just sending signals that all we care about is what you look like, if you look the part, yeah. then how, why would you expect these guys to really put that extra effort in to play the part. Mm -hmm. If they know what it, if they know 
whatever they do on the court means nothing because I look a certain way or my arm spans a certain amount of inches or whatever. What incentive do these guys have to really produce? And I'm watching the ESPN rankings that came out the other day. Yeah. Seeing guys that I saw that did nothing this spring, and yet they keep them high for what? You're not helping that kid. You're hurting them mm -hmm. because you're telling them, I don't care what you do on the court. I'm still going to put you one. I'm going to put you three. I'm going to put you top ten. That's not good for the game. It's not good. I think it's hurting American basketball, to be quite honest. Yep. No, it's, uh, I, I think it's huge for – you hear it all the time. Even when we're working with pros, it's like those rankings don't matter because – well, some of it feels some people like, oh, they're going to rank me that lower, not rank me. Hey, they're building that chip and then just making those people at the top more comfortable. I heard from an agent recently speaking to what you were talking about, how the NBA teams choose prospects that have been ranked high or they're like, these guys rely on their jobs to pick the right guy. So if they don't go after who everybody else is going after, they can lose their job. This is their livelihood. So they have to go with the for sure person even though they may not even produce in a year or two or they don't check their whole background and their character and all those other things that matter and so it seems like in both of those with the media or these nba team scouts is like they're doing it to keep a job more than they are actually evaluating the talent um what are things that you look for you get to see the top players in the country pretty much year round what do you look for in evaluating talent on the court and then off the court? Well, I think that's a good question. And also you ha have to understand who your audience is. Mm. And that's also part of the problem because a lot of these high school kids, most of them will not be NBA players. They won't be pros. So their audience is more of a college coach. Yeah. But what you're seeing now, I'm not sure whether these some of these evaluators are trying to audition to be NBA scouts. They're evaluating kids for college as if they're evaluating from the draft. And there's two different two different scenarios here because what makes a good college player and helps a, a, a coach win and keep his job is not necessarily the same with somebody picking for the NBA draft. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the problem. I think um, Kelvin Sampson is a tremendous coach. He went to a Final Four with Oklahoma with a kind of undersized guard named Hollis Price yeah. out of New Orleans, who was undersized but very effective, good enough to get Kellen, Cal, uh, Calvin to the uh, Final Four. If you would have told Calvin Sampson, hey, man, this guy will never make the NBA. You shouldn't recruit him. He's not that good enough. Right. You know, you took him to a Final Four. And there's other guys that get drafted that don't even go to the tournament. Markel Fultz. <laughs> exactly. So, but ultimately, you look at that draft and how, even though Danny Ainge is gone from Boston, that has to be one of the most all-time boss moves in NBA GM history. The guy gets the best player in that draft and trades down yep. and gets, I think, got another first round somewhere else. Yep. He got the number one player at, at three or mm -hmm. four? Three. Three. And got a first round pick. <laughs> that's, I mean, I don't know how you, that's not, that's got to be one of the best moves of all time. But, but even Tatum, Tatum and, and, and AU at college was putting up numbers. 
Uh, other guys, you look at, um, if you judge too much upside and not enough on production, you get these, these high rates of being disappointed, of having guys who, who are bust or guys who are not playing up to their expectations. And a large part of it is their mental makeup, their work ethic. You see it every day because you work mm-hmm. with them. You know guys who go hard all the time. You guys, you know guys that don't. Mm-hmm. You know guys that you have to drag to work out, and guys who beat you to the, to the gym. Those are the guys that typically make it. And also, do they have that family support system in place to, to avoid all the distractions? Mm-hmm. They're going to get once they get the hands on money they've never seen before. Right. That's part of the issue as well. So, and you look at you know a guy a guy like Evan Mobley, at who was I think at three, and Cade Cunningham was a worthy one. Jalen Green is a good talent, but the safest pick of those three was Evan Mobley, mm-hmm. because not only did you have the upside, and you had a guy that produced at USC, you looked at his character his family support system. Right. That's not a guy you're going to have to worry about at 12 midnight getting a call. He's been a pro since he was 12, probably. And the way, and the way he, he uh, approaches the game, the way his, his dad and his mom keep him on the, on the straight and arrow and focused on what he needs to do. High character, high grades, highly intelligent. So is the brother. And that was the safest pick. And you could probably make the argument he has played as well as any of those three guys. Yeah. Although there's still a long time to go for you know, Kate did some injuries. Jalen was kind of on a bad team that he had forced to carry. It mm-hmm. doesn't have much help yet, although very talented. Uh, but but he but those other intangible things yeah. made it more of a safe pick, in my opinion. And so far, I think I've been proven right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I agree. With the um, you use the word production. Describe production for this is for the kids who are saying, "Oh, I produce because I can hit a three or what does production look like on the court well it's it's not just numbers but how you affect your team in a, you know in a, in a winning basketball way you know I got you know, these guys they want to go to the EYBL and they want to go on that platform and then they turn around and they want to be invited to my camp and I tell them, hey, I like you I think you're a good player, but you're putting up five point eight points a game. Mm-hmm. How's that scream all American? Doesn't. Right. Right. If you want to be on that platform and you want to be considered the top, then you're going to be judged on that platform. And if you're in the bottom of, of the pile there, you're not an all American. You're just one of other guys who are secondary guys in that thing. Right. And uh, I'm looking at the uh, uh, EYBL stats. And a lot of these guys have very meager stats. Now in fairness, they are playing with a longer three-point line than they're used to. They are playing with a shorter uh, shooting a clock, uh, shot clock than they're used to. And that's an adjustment in many cases. But at the end of the day, if your goal, your dream is to be that dude, then you're going to have to be that dude yeah. at every opportunity. When you match up against somebody that's more heralded than you, that's more respected than you, that's an opportunity for you to show that you're his equal. You can't blow those opportunities because in that situation, if you hold serve, you win. Hmm. If you're considered to be lesser than that person and you play him to a draw, 
draw goes to the underdog because he was supposed to knock you out. He was supposed to kill you. If you sit there after the game and you held your own and you're toe-to-toe, that's a win for you. So a lot of these guys, they don't understand it. They, they play. They don't understand who they're playing against. Now, they should play hard no matter who the opponent is. But when you have that matchup, that's an extra, you know, extra incentive. You know, Draymond Green, as you probably heard, he was picked in the second round. Another great example of upside and not not watching him win it at Michigan State, being the the leader and in, in the toughness that he brought to the table as far as winning basketball. He knows exactly who was picked ahead of him. I think he was picked 37th. I forgot what it was. He knows by name hmm. all the guys picked ahead of him by name and by pick. So when he saw those guys, hmm. he went after them. Same thing with Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce dropped the 10th in that draft he was in. I'm not sure what happened. There was some maybe. Sometimes these NBA drafts are a little bit fickle and they're funny because things get tossed in there at the last second. Guys that are trying to sabotage some of these kids. You have yeah. agents trying to help their kids by sabotaging others, yeah. spreading misinformation or disinformation. You know, I'll give you an example of that in a second. But Paul Pierce knew the nine guys ahead of him, and when he saw them, he killed them. Yeah. Right? <laughs> to give you an example of what I just alluded to, I, the, I've been to one NBA draft. It was a draft that I had four guys that actually put on a uniform. James Harden, that was 2009. James Harden at three. DeMar DeRozan at nine, Brandon Jennings at 10, Drew Holiday, I think at 17. Now, Brandon Jennings was originally invited to the green room, okay? I went down to the hotel to see his mom and his brother and him. They normally have like a luncheon. NBA has a luncheon for all the green room people, like around 12 noon, and the draft is later at five or whatever it is, or uh, six or seven, whatever the time is. So I get there to see them, greetings, whatever. Everything's fine. Right? So I go up to my hotel and I'm about to jump on the subway to get down to, to, to Madison Square Garden. And then I get a call from somebody, I forgot who it was. Hey, did you hear what happened? Brandon just got disinvited from the green room. He's falling. He's falling out of the lottery. He's falling maybe out of the first round. And what I'm going, I'm thinking, what, what the hell's going on? <laughs> so he's not there. So I get there, and he's not there. So some, something happened where somebody spread some information. But it was kind of funny, if you remember, or you may not remember. He was actually picked 10th, ultimately. Not there. So they picked him. They didn't have the initial shaking of the hand moment with 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 the uh, I think Stern was still the commissioner then. Mm-hmm. Was it still with it Silver? Come on. It was Stern. No, Stern. Yeah. And uh, he, he was picked, but no handshake. So he hears his name. He's at the hotel two blocks away. He puts his suit on, jumps all the way in a taxi, gets to, gets to the uh, Madison Square Garden. And in between, like the, like the 17th and 18th pick, or 21st, 22nd pick, <laughs> they, they gave him his moment. He got there, wow. and they did like a pause between picks, and they, they gave him his moment, you know. Absolutely. So That's those to give an example of sometimes, you know, this this the pecking order in the, in the draft and how 
people perceive you at a given time can can be a fluid. And but going back to the original question about evaluate, I kind of take a blender approach. I I don't obviously I don't ignore people with upside. I think it's important. I think it's a good thing to to consider that. But you also have to have some connection to production and some connection to winning basketball. If you want to draft guys that are going to win for you in, in the NBA level, you know, John Welch has got the assistant job at Kentucky yesterday, longtime NBA assistant, played for Tarkania, UNLV, coach of Seth Greenberg at Long Beach State, who's now on ESPN, Tark's last job at Fresno State, he was with them. And he told me one time, when, when Tarkanian had it rolling at UNLV, when he was considering somebody to be a starter on his team, his mind was, is this guy a first-round pick? That's the standard. I go, what about a bench player? And John goes, well, he considered him. Is this a second-round pick? <laughs> <laughs> so he had an NBA pick one way or the other. He wanted to start to be first-round picks. He wanted his back in the second-round picks. You look, you look at the, his NBA rosters. Boston, in chaos. Now, now, in fairness to that guy, young coach, I don't know him. I felt bad for him because he looked like a deer in headlights. Yeah. It was almost, and he took, he tried to take the fall for what happened, but he also, in effect, hurt himself because he admitted his inexperience. I didn't have my guys ready, he said. Well, when were you going to get it ready? It's game three, man. <laughs> right. When were you going to get these guys ready? Easter covers finals. It made him look bad, although he is a very good coach, although very young. And um, uh, going back to Tar- the Tarkanian thing, the, the, um, the, um, so the standards of, of, of how you view things, you look at also Boston Celtics, the point I was going to make, the year before, they came very close to winning it all. But if you look at their bench, they had no bench. Right. They were relying on two ways, rookies, minimums, whatever. If you would have guys, you know, for me, you could swing for the fences for your starters. Yeah. But your backups now more than ever, because it was the case before. If it worked in the 80s, it can work now. You're not reinventing the wheel. You, I want winners on my bench. Yep. Guys that have won in high school. Guys that know what it's, how to win in college. Yep. Those guys that know who know how to perform when the lights are the brightest. And, and there seems to be a devoid there. And part of that, I understand why. Because they're paying these top guys so much money. Yeah. They don't have much money for anybody else. So they're trying to, to make up for what they're paying their top three to five guys with minimums, two ways, 10 days, G League. Yeah. And in many cases, they're shortchanging their team. That's why Denver is so balanced because they have guys who were either really good high school, college, and they got them on budget friendly contracts because of where they were in the career. And they got a little bit of luck too. Michael Porter, too, had, had he not hurt his back yeah. and had that surgery, mm-hmm. would have been way higher. Right. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't, you know, in that, in that draft, they would not have been able to get him. And then they had the luxury because at that time, they were still relatively loaded talent wise. And they were able to take a gamble on Michael Porter despite the yeah. back. And Michael Porter was MVP of my camp, so I know him very well. He's very talented. Yeah. He, he's a potential NBA All-Star yes. in a year to three years. And um, Even Aaron Gordon, top five high school player. And, but, and, 
and that's why when we saw the, the Euro League, Euro League uh, is so good right now. There's a lot of guys in the Euro League, a lot of Americans there, and Mike James, Shane White, Larkin, Tyler Dorsey. I think those guys would be great bench players right. for winning teams in the NBA. Um, but there seems to be like a dis- more of a disconnect or, or an unwillingness to go in that direction. But that league is a tough league, and I love their playoff format. Eight teams out of 18 make it. Hmm. The parity one through eight is tremendous. The number one team in the league this year, Olympiacos, they play because they have a hybrid system there, which is kind of unique. Their first round, one plays eight, two plays seven, three, six, four, five. But they play best of five. Oh, nice. Right, first round. And then the survivors go to a final four mm. for a one game. So it's kind of half NBA playoffs, oh. half NCAA final four. Format. Yeah. And the, the best of five are more uh, brutal than, than, than the I four. Bet. Yeah. <laughs> and then the team, that uh, number one team, they lost in the finals on a buzzer beater. They easily could have beat. They went to five games with the eight, Fenerbahce, which is a very good team. Yeah. And and if Salukas from Olympia across the Salukas doesn't hit a game-winning shot in game three, they're one-one. Back to Fenerbahce, game three on the road. Need a buzzer beater to go two-one. If they lose that game, they lost game four. Hmm. They would have. Not survived, but the, the battles there—it's a grown man's game over there. A lot of G League two ways rookies could, would not survive in Europe. That's, you're talking about, whether it's foreign guys or older American guys—they're grown ass men that are playing in that league. Oh yeah, and those are guys I think you know. I think the Sacramento Kings—I think they're looking to bring in a Bulgarian off that Greek team, Sasa Benzikov, who's a tremendous player. And he'll go if the price is right. But having guys like that who are experienced that are tough. Yeah. What's the what's the parity of money there though, right? So they make way more money overseas than they would at the end of a Well, probably one to two. What was it? Most guys that are really good play make one to two million a year. Over there? Yeah. Oh, so that's the you see, but, that, but that's why they probably need to carve out more extensions in the NBA that doesn't count against the salary cap because to get a good player you give them three to five million, but again, you're going back to the original thing. If they can save ten million right. at the end of their roster, that's probably their summer home in Monaco, <laughs> for the summer, you know, or, or or brand new home in Bel Air. Right. What they want to buy? Hey, let me just keep this piece. <laughs> right. So that's part of the problem there too. But anyway, I think ultimately, I look for guys, especially guards. Very rarely, very rarely. Do you have guards in the NBA who didn't kill in college or high school? Right. I mean, you, you could probably put examples on a, one, one hand, yeah. very rarely. So why do you keep swinging for the fences? Yeah. I mean, and obviously sometimes a guy who's a good college player doesn't always pan out to be an NBA player. It's a little bit different game as far as creating your own shot. Sometimes you're in the right system. Yeah. Um, but I think you have to have a blend of both. And from evaluating, you have to not only rely on your own eyes because you can't be everywhere. You can't see everybody everywhere they go. You have to pay attention to data. So if I hear that 
Elijah Arena, who you know very well, goes for 55. It may be against El Camino Real, but I can't discount that. I can't ignore that. Right. I have to tuck that in to the data file. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some guys, and too often, even at the, at the high school level, they seem like they, they, they see a guy have a five-minute spurt, and they'll put all their stock in mm-hmm. and ignore when the guy goes 0 for 10 in a big game. Right. They'll, they'll ignore it or not want to pay attention. You have to get the, the, the whole picture. Yes. And that's why I think ultimately when it comes to the high school, you have to evaluate these guys in all three settings with their AU teams or high school teams, obviously, and in, in individual events. Yes. Because individual events shows you a couple of things. Who has that alpha male personality? Who's, who's going to jump in and drive the car and who's going to be in the backseat? Mm-hmm. Number two, it shows you how many guys know good basketball. Because you go to a park, you play with some old guys, you see them cutting and give and go, pass and cut. You see guys that know how to survive or know how to achieve without the benefit of structure, yeah. without the benefit of familiarity. That tells you something yes. as far as quick learning or, or knowing the IQ, the and, IQ yeah. and things of that nature. So you have to evaluate them in all three settings. And that's why even before they, they brought the high school June live periods, I was a big proponent for a long time of having something like that mm-hmm. to help get, give these coaches the, 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 big, the big picture. Although again, some of them are offering kids only on that and not on other things. So you have kind of the, the reverse happening. You gotta see them all in all three different settings to get the full picture and do your homework. And unfortunately, what's happening now in college basketball, with the ease of the of the recruiting the portal, of the ease of technology, of information coming to you so easily, they don't even have to do this. They just do this. <laughs> right. Versus when I first started, you guys that worked man, that worked till midnight, two a.m. Yes. To give you a quick story here, the first real coach I met, one of the first, if not the first was a guy that I thought was much older than me, and he wasn't. Back then, we didn't have internet. We didn't have social media. What we would do, we'd have an event, and I would do a report. In my Scotty service, I would mail it out. Or in many cases, if I wanted to get the word out, I would fax it hmm. into basketball offices. So I'd be up late at night from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. and just one by one, fax it. Fax to the University of Iowa. Fax it to Pepperdine. Fax it to Arizona State. That's the real grind. Fax it. That's the real grind. (laughs) So about about 12 midnight my time, I get a call on my phone from a 414 number. It's Milwaukee. And it's a guy from Marquette, a guy named Lawrence Frank, who would later become an NBA head coach, who's the general manager, vice president of the Clippers. That's the first guy I met, Lawrence Frank. He called me. He got the thing. He had a couple questions with a couple kids. He called and had about a 20-minute conversation. That's how the guys went out and they inquired and did their homework. I'm not getting the sense now that there's an impetus or an impulse for guys to do above the minimum. Hmm. And even if you, what's funny about it, even if you don't recruit that guy, you still got to know about him. Yes. Because you may be at a higher school a year from now, or now that guy's in play for you. Yeah. Or two years from now, 
that guy's on the transfer portal and you have a previous connection or relationship with them versus going in cold. And it, I'm not sure whether the effort, because before we heard grind, 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 I'm on my grind. Well, we hear the rappers on their grind. Now they're not on their grind. But what happened? COVID keep guys off the grind. <laughs> they're <laughs> maybe, they're maybe, on their phone. Maybe, maybe COVID knocked them off the grind. But I used to hear grind, grind, grind. It was popular to be on the grind. The overgrind yes. was the popular. But now it seems like it's not. But that's why going back with the NBA scouts, even though in that particular draft you may only have a first round pick, but you gotta, those guys are responsible for knowing everybody on that landscape. Yes. Because the one thing we talked about job security, they don't wanna do happen or have happened to them when they're in a meeting right here and the, and the VP or the GM says, well, what about Elijah Arenas? You have no answer. You're, on the, you're a West Coast scout. You're the West Coast scout. Did you see him? What are you going to say? No. Right. You're going to say, yeah, I saw, I saw him four times. Here's my notes about him. And it gives you in these draft scenarios what your pecking order before the draft is not always what you're drafting. And Tyler Dorsey is a good example. Tyler Dorsey coming out of Oregon, fresh off a of Final Four. Yep. He went for 20 points or more eight straight times yeah. that postseason, three in the Pac-12, all five NCAA games, he had 20 and more. The game against Kansas in Kansas City, they would go to the Final Four at 27. So he worked out for half the league. But what happened on draft day? He gets picked by a team that didn't work him out. How did that happen? Why did that happen? Because a day before the draft, there was a trade, the Dwight Howard trade, and somehow Atlanta ended up with a 41st pick when they only had a first pick mm. and, and the 60th pick. So they didn't work him out because they didn't view him as a first rounder where they had John Collins. Yeah. And they thought he'd be gone by the 60th. So they never worked him out. But they, now they have 41 and they picked him. So those things tend to, yeah. they're inexact. This draft thing is there's no rhyme or reason to it, no exact science to it. Um, so you got to be prepared. I don't see a lot of college coaches prepared. You know, I send out information all the time. I get the feeling for a lot of them, they don't even bother to read it. Hmm. And I'm not sure why, whether they, they got too busy or maybe the, we have information overload. I, I, I think that's part know, of it. That, that we can be, look up any website and find some information on a player, or what other people think of them. Um, I think it's important to know who the reliable people are in this industry. Like you've been doing this for a long time with, uh, you know, a great reputation at it. And so coaches read the notes. <laughs> Man, I don't have time. I don't, I don't hold it against you guys. No, but, but we'll start doing videos. Start listening to his videos. And no, but all the go back to your point where we're, we're even us. When we wake up in the morning and all of a sudden I had five or 10 unread emails and now it's, 95 now, and I'm, I'm having to spend five, 10, 15 minutes a day deleting emails yeah. or going through quickly. I think where the information overload is part of the problem, but ultimately I don't, I don't see the same, you know, work ethic from a recruiting standpoint. I'm not sure whether this new generation of young assistants don't have that drive or passion to recruit. Mm -hmm whether the portals make it easier for them to not have to do it. So they rely on that, which is less time consuming, less costly. But, you know, 
those days of like Kevin O'Neill, Lawrence Frank, yeah, Kevin O'Neill was the head coach. Mm-hmm. You were staying in the office though too. If you were right. young as you, you mean you, you know when he came in in the morning, you know you you better know your shit. Yeah. But you weren't going to be there longer. Kevin Rick Pitino hates to have those guys not only working. He used to have those guys on the treadmill hmm. at 5 a.m. And Marvin Menzies lost more weight with, with Rick Petito than he ever did, <laughs> being an assistant there. And, and I think you have a scenario, too, where I think it's it just those older days were maybe with information not readily available and made them more aggressive and assertive, mm-hmm. getting that information. Even another story, Jerry Tarkanian was recruiting uh, Sam Bowie. At that time, Lebanon, PA, which is right outside of Harrisburg, it's about two hours west of Philadelphia. And he, he noticed something peculiar every time he went to Lebanon, Pennsylvania. The Kentucky assistant, Leonard Hamilton, who later became a head coach of Florida, yeah, State, Florida State, Miami, NBA head coach, was always there. He, he thought to himself, Am I wasting my time? This guy's every time I come, mm-hmm. he's always here. And there was like one or two hotels in town at that, that, that time. And they would stay at and see some other coaches there from time to time. So it was on his mind late at night. So it was kind of bothering him. So he goes down to the midnight or 2 a.m. to the front desk clerk. Some college kid working in the graveyard, front desk. I, did, I used to work as a front desk night, night auditor or modern in Long Beach years ago. And goes down there and says, hey, man, I want you to do me a favor. The young kid, he puts a $20 bill on, on, on the table. I need you to tell me something. He said, sir, what do you need me to tell you? I need you to tell me how many nights has Leonard Hamilton stayed at that hotel, this, this hotel this year? So the guy looks at Tarkanian, takes the 20. He goes, he's rented the room the entire year. <laughs> at that time, Tarkanian knew he, he knew his bats. He wasn't getting the kid. But it tells you the level of you know, for Kentucky, man. Kentucky, you know, Sam Bowie was a priority. Yeah. And Leonard Hamilton, as the top recruiting assistant, was not going to be denied getting that kid. So that was, it's a different type of mentality. I'm not, sure, I, I'm not sure I see a lot of that among the young. Right. There's some out there for sure. But like you said, it's few and far between. Like, there even in my days of doing this 10 years ago, when I sent information about a kid, no matter who it was, I would get a response. Hey, thanks, coach. We'll look out for him. Nowadays, I don't even get a response yeah. unless I'm sending somebody who's on the top 100 list or, you know, somebody who has an NBA last name. Like, they don't even want to – they don't even respond. Yeah. There, there, are, there are some who do, and thank you for those guys. But like you said, I think there's a um, – it's the, the – I don't know how things are developing over time with, with how you see it. How is – how are you doing things with Pangos and everything that you do a little bit differently with the landscape shifting this way. How are you keeping relevant for so long and still having impactful events and everything? Well, I think the key thing is, is, is for Pangos All-American is we were very fortunate to be in, uh, in that space early. Yeah. And we got kind of established, entrenched, and, um, and rooted very early. And we had a lot of success, which ended up in us being in the only non-shoe company, major shoe company, non-NBA player event that's NBA certified based upon our track record. Um, that's, that's one. Number two, I think ultimately, I think less is more. 
back in the older days, like when I worked the Nike All-American camp for George Ravley in Indianapolis, we were there the entire week. It was like a seven days, a grueling days. We got in two days before the, the campers, and then we, you know, we got there, and then we'd wake up in the morning, all you could eat breakfast in the hotel, went to the gym for skills, went back to the hotel for all you could eat lunch, went back to the gym for games, went back to the hotel for all you could eat dinner, went back to the um, gym for more games, went back to the hotel for a late night snack, all you could eat. The, the older guys who were there, the college counselors, Tim Duncans, who was at Wake Forest, they would play pickup games at the end for, for NBA scouts and the college coaches. And you did it for four or five straight days. Jeez. And those guys were were were, uh, were worn out. This is, this is, and this was the beginning of the live period. Hmm. They were already worn out. And, and now there's even more activity than ever before. And I think the mistakes some are still making in the NBA PA camp being one. They have, they have a very nice camp. And they do a lot of good things with the mentorship, the classroom stuff, the educational part for players and parents is they don't understand these kids have so much stuff on their plate. Less is more. Mm -hmm. And you got to have things done in less time. You got to give them um, uh, more room and time to recuperate. People look at my camp schedule and they think, oh, he not a morning person. He doesn't start till like one o'clock the next day. <laughs> now that may be partially true, especially <laughs> in Vegas. It works out very well. But part of it too is let those, we come in, we play that night, and we let these kids sleep in. We let them sleep in. So, and then the second day is that we don't really have, even the three days that we go, we don't really have one full day where we're just grinding at the end. Right. We want to keep it fun. We have, obviously I like to have more instruction than what I have. I have about an hour on Friday, about two hours on Saturday. But again, they're already starting to be worn out. They, they're, I have the high school periods coming up. They have all the July periods coming up. Nike, YBL, it's there three or four days before the live period even starts. They're going seven straight days. They have nothing left afterwards. And they're not all, and they're also, they're not also viewing it from a a physical standpoint, they're also not viewing it from a cost standpoint because a lot of their parents right. want to follow their kids. And you're making it more expensive for them, these parents, not all of them are loaded or wealthy mm -hmm. to do so by having so many days. Yeah. You're making it more difficult for them. Yeah. Food, you're you're hotel, making them put gas. stuff on their credit cards or borrow money. And you know, I had a, um, I, I, I do a thing at the end of the summer now that's kind of an offshoot of the camp called the festival. Yeah. And the first one we did, we had the top one, two, three picks of the draft in that event. Paola Benchero, Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith. And this past year, there was a, a kid that came to my camp, very good player, going to the SEC school. Families in middle class or higher. So I don't fly everybody into the camp. I don't have the budget, the festival, I don't have the budget to. So I invited this kid. They can get, he can get his own ticket, I'll take care of the hotel, whatever. And the lady called me and she was privately like honest with me. She goes, you know, I'm sorry. 
We'd love to have them there. But after all these weekends of the EYBL, we went two in April, two in May, and we were at EYBL for 10, I think they went two, went two weeks, I think. They were there set, 10 to 14 days. For PJs? Yeah, they went during the post-COVID. Oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. She goes, she admitted, I got nothing left. Mm. I'm, I'm totally spent. And I bought him a ticket. Said, appreciate your honesty. You're a good person. I'm going to buy you something. Take came to the event. So I think part of it is we're, we're not viewing these things and the companies are not doing a good job saying, what's how do we do this that we allow these kids to be seen without wearing them down to the ground? How do we do it to where the parents can have a better chance to afford to follow their kids and not have to right. choose between not right. going or going? <laughs> And how do we make it even easier for the college coaches by putting these events in, in major cities and major airports that they can, the, every coach of whatever budget their program is in can get in and out. Not have to fly yeah, yeah, yeah. and drive a Adidas, bus for look, look at Adidas, for oh. example. Adidas, you have, they're playing in Omaha, Nebraska. It wasn't even Omaha. It was in Iowa. Yeah, Iowa, across the river. <laughs> yeah, right? and they and called then, it then, Omaha. Then you have Bryan, Texas which is about an hour 45 from Houston. It doesn't make any sense. And I may have some benefits to the people that are organizing. I understand that yeah. out there, but there's gotta be more of a concern, with not just you, the organizer. Yeah. There's gotta be a concern for the kids, yeah. for the coaches. If you're really doing it for them, and this is about them. And, and it's funny them. about it, you're making it harder for your own circuit to be seen. You're, you're making it more expensive for coaches to follow your circuit. Mm, yeah. And you're making it more expensive for your parents. So. Listen, Dinos, you can hire him as a consultant now. You shoe companies know. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get to the next segment. That's all good information and awesome stuff. Uh, next segment is uh, My Rushmore, your top four. And we're going to do your current four NBA coaches, your top four NBA coaches today. That are alive. Today, no, and not coaching. all the time. That are co well, I hope they're all alive. They're coaching today. Okay, I would say obviously <laughs> Pop. We, we Pop. We got to give Pop his credit. Okay. Pop's probably one. I'm trying to think who else is out there. Um, um you got to love what the guy did at uh, doing in Miami. He's been doing it with LeBron, without LeBron, with Ray Allen, without Ray Allen. <laughs> right. And um, and he comes from you know played at Portland. Eric's. Uh, Played at Portland. Uh, I can't keep pronouncing, mispronouncing his name. The Filipino. He's done a hell of a job. They love him in the Philippines. And he's shown the ability to win with whoever he has. He's got to be up there. My good buddy Quinn Snyder mm -hmm. had a good run with the, the Jazz and now is, I think, um, going to do really good with the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Landry Fields is the GM there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have history with Landry, fond history. I remember Landry at my camps in the third grade. Now he's a GM for. Makes you feel old now. <laughs> and uh, doing a good job there. Trey Young, uh, known him since the ninth grade, my Texas camps, and invited him to Pangos after that. So history with him and his dad, good people. So those three right there, I think who else? You know, I like, uh, see who else is currently coaching. Um, you got a lot of good coaches that just got fired for no yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a lot of them just got fired. Monty Williams, Somebody, Bud, 
Somebody who's um, doing a good job consistently over time. I think what you're seeing too, you're seeing a trend more so to a younger ex-player as coach. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the guy who just got hired at Houston did a phenomenal job with the, the Celtics for one year. Ime, terrific coach. Um, I would say those four right there. A bud was a good coach too with the Bucks. I like Doc Rivers too, but Doc Rivers, you know. He's had his moments of, of shortcomings. I like Doc Rivers. Um, Ty Lue's a good coach. Now right, you're going more than four. Oh, hey, where's your four? Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr. I, 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 All right, there we go. I was like, man, and and I'm Mike over Brown. here sweating. And, and Mike Brown. I'm going to like it. <clears throat> yeah, if I, if I had the four, I'm going Pop, Kerr, Monty Williams, who just got ixnade, but uh, I think Monty Williams and Spolstra. For sure, I think those are my top four. Oh, it just I love the culture they create. You can see it in how their teams play, how they communicate. Well, mostly how their team communicates on the court. Their systems that look like their players trust each other, and they're building pro pop for sure has built this system in San Antonio. With what's his name going there? Winby going there? Man, he's set up. For well, what success. you're seeing too, also with Miami, and even more so with San Antonio, that continuity. Pays dividends because now you're not going to have a great year every year, but that familiarity, the continuity, the chemistry pays dividends. Yep. And this knee jerk, trying to knee jerk all the time doesn't. Right. And sometimes you got to take one step back before you take two steps forward. I think sometimes a lot of owners, fan base are not not tolerant or patient with that. Absolutely. All right, now we're going to hop in our DeLorean. We're going to go back to a moment in basketball history for you since you were there and you actually ran the event because I think it would be cool to just discuss. We're going to talk about that moment where uh, where LeBron came and played at Poly Pavilion. I think it was a monumental time. It let L.A. know who LeBron was, which I think was, you know, just important in the overall context. You know, you come to L.A. and become famous and you're, you're world famous. Um what what was that moment like for you being able to bring him in? And at the time, Sebastian Telfair, who was right behind him as far as ranking in high school and everything Sebastian was able to do in high school was crazy. To me, that night, he outperformed LeBron, uh, the game immediate after. And like you said, I think me and my dad were at that game, and we were about to leave after LeBron played. And I watched five minutes of Telfair, and I'm like, oh, we're staying. <laughs> like it was one of those moments like oh we're not leaving the but you don't happen in the press room for the previous game lebron and the coaches went to the press room mm -hmm. while telfair was playing and while we were in there as people are asking reporters are asking questions you could hear the crowd ooh and all and there was pauses in, the, in our little press conference because we were wondering what was going on up there it was telfair Obviously, yes. so that 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 emanated down to the press conference. Were they playing King? Who were they playing? Who did Telfair? Vallejo with the Marco the Marcus ah, Nelson. There with the Marcus Duke. Nelson, yeah. With the NBA. That's right. He had thirty that game too. Yeah, yeah. That, that, man, what a night. Um, yeah. So, what else was that like? What What do you remember most about that? Well, night? you got to remember how that game came about. The game came about because I understood the history behind those two teams, indirect history. In, in the in the eighth grade. The high school coach was the AU youth coach mm. for Northeast Shooting Stars, I believe is the correct name of the, of the team. And the guys that LeBron would go to high school with were four or five guys on that team, Romeo, Drew Joyce, 
the younger Drew Joyce III, mm-hmm. his youngest college assistant, and the big football guy that played Ohio State. Yeah. And they were playing Pat Barrett's SCA team, SoCal All-Stars, in the AAU final. And in modern day had two, maybe th- three, maybe four guys that were on that team, uh, two of whom played on my Belmont short team. Harrison Shane mm-hmm. went to Princeton. Wesley Washington, who went to Minnesota, then Oregon State. Uh, Trayvon, uh, what's Trayvon's last name? And maybe one other. But there was a, what happened that game is LeBron lost that game. So I think I, for, I forgot exactly what happened. I think his shot got blocked at the buzzer. Hmm. There's a guy that went to L.A. Fremont that played wide receiver for Stanford, Mark Bradford. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure if he ever made the NFL or not. Mark was probably one of the best athletes we've had out of L.A. He was on that SCAT. Apparently, he blocked LeBron hmm. to, to, to save the game. Hmm. And that left a bitter taste in that team's mouth. So when I was going to approach the coach for St. Vincent St. Mary's, I knew that history. So basically, what I was doing was I offered that guy a chance for a quasi-de facto rematch. Yeah. And it was not a hard sell. He jumped at it. They wanted to face those guys again. And now it came to the high school. It was St. Vincent, St. Mary's. The the, the youth coach now went from the assistant to the head coach because the head coach went to college. Now, he's the head coach. Modern day has three or four of those guys. They want to play. So that's how that thing came about. Hmm. And now they had the details with the, uh, you know, appearance fees and then all this and all that. So I had him at the Sheraton LAX, Sheraton Gateway LAX. So I got him about 20, um, 25 tickets he wanted. You know, actually, right before the summer before, uh, this is a, a funny story, summer before, then we were all in Vegas for the Vegas tournaments. And the guy, and, and Drew said, I want to meet you, go over all the details. Fine, guy, like Chinese? He goes, yeah. I'll meet you at P.F. Chang's on Paradise right there, right by the, the old Hard Rock. I think it's no longer there. So we meet there. His wife's there. So he goes, here's what he went down the checklist. 25 flights. Check. You know, 15 rooms. Check. Okay. School wants a $15,000 appearance fee. Check. Meals. Check. Transportation while we're there. Check. And then he said, I need a, a $5,000 donation to my nonprofit. Look at him. So I'm, I'm, I've already given him half, <laughs> half my underwear. <laughs> Check. I, and then he goes, I need one more thing. So I, I lean back and I'm thinking to myself, what, else? what more can you need right here? <laughs> Look at the wife's there. What, for the guy. what more do you need, my brother? And I'm thinking, what more does this guy need? And he goes, yeah, I talked to Talk to uh, Steve Smith from Oak Hill. And he told me, don't you dare go down there without one of your own. One of your own. I talked about He goes, yeah, I need to bring a, a rep, he said. I know how mm. modern day operates. Right? Uh, that's smart. All right. So, yeah. so, and I'm looking at it, and at that point, I'm faced with, we, we, we're, we're, we're already in knee deep in the ocean here. Is this potentially a deal breaker? I'm thinking, what, what am I going on? What's you know, what's going to happen here? If I say no, 
But they, I was processing so many things. I remember talking to the modern day coach because he wanted two referees in the game, not three. Two of his. Two of his. <laughs> Of course, Coach. So, I'm thinking, so I rationalized it. I rationalized it. I think something. Just to be on the fair side, I'm going to give Ignite his two. I'll give him his one. Mm. We're not going to let this thing blow up over over one referee. Right. I said, go ahead. And anything else you want, man. You want my underwear now. <laughs> right. Else you want. So, fast forward to the game. Had I known. It was going to sell out. I would have probably raised the price. I ain't going to lie. Yeah. But they went in when the lower bowl went out fast. I'm thinking, am I charging too less for this game? And, and we it sold out. And uh, um, when they came off the airplane, <clears throat> this was me. This was um, after 9-11. LeBron was the first guy down the escalator. He was happy to be in L.A. All right, we get there. Now I'm putting this game together, raising money, raising sponsors. I had one sponsor who, who had a limo company, so I was using his limo to help transport whenever possible. And um, yeah, I didn't pay for the limo. I got it for free. So but the limo pulls up. You see the limo there? Give me the side. As we go from the limo, from the, uh, the curb to the limo, I start hearing these little clicks. Photography clicks, and there's people like a popping out from poles, and, mm. and that's the story in Sports Illustrated. There's two stories on LeBron James in high school. My Grant Wall just died at the World Cup. Mm-hmm. The one was he's on the cover as a, as a junior. The second one was from the Pango's Dream Classic event, where he, it's inside the magazine. I think the cover was Ohio State won the Sugar Bowl or something. Okay. I forget the quarter. Or, uh, had the funny name at quarterback was yeah. covered. So they're, they're shooting for photographs and taking them to the hotel. And then I, they wanted to go eat. So, and the coach warned me. He said, yeah, I, gotta, I gotta warn you in advance. He goes, Ron's kind of a finicky eater, very particular eater. I go, what about P.F. Chang? you like P.F. Chang? He goes, yeah, but I'm not sure if he's going to like it or not. He's going to like it. The P.F. Chang's, I think that's closed now, too. The one in off Rosecrans mm-hmm. by Manhattan Beach by the airport. So I take him there, and he actually liked P.F. It's first time he ate at P.F. Chang's. The whole team was there. But now they wanted to go to the pool. They wanted to go to the sea of the ocean. So I had switched over from the limo to a 15-passenger van. So uh, you want to go to the Ocean. Okay, fine. I'll take you down to Manhattan Beach here. So we can jump in the van. He jumps in the, in, the, in, in the shotgun seat. I'm driving. Phone's ringing off the hook. Her tickets. Mm-hmm. You know, passes, media, whatever. I, I couldn't even function back then. So we're driving and the phone rings. Answer the phone. It's some Hollywood publicist for a new young rapper that wants tickets to the game. I said, ma'am, what's your rapper's name? And she said, 50 Cent. Uh, right? <laughs> at that time, I think it's just when he first like, came out. <laughs> yeah, all right? was. I was not aware of 50 Cent at that time. <laughs> no, that's like when he dropped his first album was 2003, his first real. Okay. Yeah. So I go, ma'am, I said, I apologize. But right now I'm under so much stress. I, got, I told her, and unfortunately I had told her, 
I don't know, 50 cents from 25 cents. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so now I, LeBron overhears my conversation with this lady and kind of nudged me. I said, who's that? I go, man, what's your rapper's name again? And she said, 50 cents. I looked at LeBron. I said, LeBron, some, some guy. And he goes, oh, that's my dude. I said, what? <laughs> I said, man, if you have two tickets, then we'll call. I'll see you there. Click. <laughs> that's my dude. Oh, my gosh. Some rapper named 50 Cent. Yeah, I was getting calls for all kinds of celebrities. And now I was the Urkel, Jaleel, Jaleel was a big fan. Oh, man. And we had the, you know, the media lunch at, at Lowry's in, in, in Beverly Hills. And he actually, they come up, they carve you the prime rib. He had some somebody from Adidas who was sponsoring the team in high school. Go fetch him Burger King. You got a picture of him with a Burger King bag, even though he's at McDonald's. Yeah. I still have that photograph. I don't know. Send it to Clutch. Hey, Clutch, I have this photograph of you. How much do you want to get rid of this? How much do you value your McDonald's deal? Absolutely. Dinos, thank you for coming on the show um, and giving us these awesome stories and just your take on everything. You're always welcome back here. I appreciate um, it. So, guys, we appreciate him being on the show. Yeah, I love the job you do with Core Prep. Thank you. Really elevating the uh, quality of basketball here in Southern California. It's too bad we don't have you in other other areas. We're, do the we're same. working on that. We're, we're looking for the right people to partner with, the right schools. And so I appreciate your support always and um, always sending kids to your events. It's, you do it the right way. So thank you for that. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll see you guys next time. Make sure you reach out to Dinos. We'll have his handles down in the description. If you guys have any questions, check out the Pangos Camp. It'll be um, streaming on Baller TV as well. Um, if you can't make it out to Vegas, that's June 5th through 7th? 4th through 6th. 4th through 6th. June 4th through the 6th. Um, you can check it out. Has going to have all the top All-American players in the country there. So Expected all 30 NBA teams this year. This year, Lakers got their act together, hired a few scouts, so other than awesome. the owner's son. So I think they think they're in good shape now. Awesome. We're going to have the Lakers there. So uh, thank you, guys. We'll see you next time. Peace.